Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 169 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment of the show, we'll be diving into the multi-label output of the Los Angeles-based Black Editions group. Black Editions was started in 2015, the sole purpose of reissuing definitive vinyl and digital editions from the back catalog of PSF Records, the legendary Japanese imprint that documented a wide array of Japanese underground music throughout both sides of the 90s and early 2000s. Founder Peter Klovos has also been running Thin Wrist Recordings for over a decade prior to this and had been working in close collaboration on numerous releases with VDSQ, a label operated by Steve Lowenthal that is focused on 21st century guitar-based music. Together, the two have maintained their respective labels but have streamlined all of their shared activities under the banner of the Black Editions Group. I recently had a chance to speak with Steve, who handles the sales, promotion, and general operations aspects of the Black Editions Group. We discussed the history of how he and Peter came to work together, and then some of the different considerations that go into running each of the labels within the group. Throughout, you'll also hear blocks of music from all three of the labels, too. But before we get into those interview segments, I'm going to play tracks from two of the early releases to come out on Block Editions. We'll start with something here from Kiji Haino and follow it up with a track from High Rise.
So since we're talking about three distinct labels that operate under the Black Editions group, I thought we should spend some time tracing the history of, of how these labels eventually came together under this banner. I know that your label, VDSQ, started when you were living in New York City, and then later you started to co-release some albums with Peter Kolovos uh, in a Stin Wrist Recordings imprint when, when I, I'm assuming that when you moved to California. So just wondering how this initial partnership took shape and you know what were the advantages of working together collaboratively like this? Uh, Peter Kolovos and I were introduced uh, via Spencer Yeh from Burning Star Corps. Uh, I had just moved to California in 2009 to work on my John Fahey project as my master's thesis at CalArts. Peter was uh, one of Spencer's close friends who lived in L.A., and uh, you know he insisted that we uh, had to get together. Uh, Peter and I became fast friends, and you know, we, we hung out a lot while I was out here going to school. Um, Peter had some other commitments outside of the music stuff for a while uh, that meant he didn't have as much time for Thin Wrists at that particular time as perhaps he would have liked. Uh, con concurrently, I had some VDSQ projects that I wasn't quite sure what to do with. And uh, so Peter became my silent partner around 2011 uh, in VDSQ. So we've been working together for quite some time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, it's been really, really rewarding. Um, it's... Peter is a really talented producer of all kinds of arts and events. Uh, he's extremely well oriented with the various processes of making and creating records. Uh, he really elevates any project uh, he's a part of, and uh, it's just fantastic working with him. Mm -hmm. I think uh, perhaps he might say that uh, I might be a little bit more of a social aspect of the two of us. I, <laughs> I'm out there a lot, and uh, and and uh, I'm a pretty social person. When uh, you know, a lot of times he's busy doing other things, and uh, the benefits of the two of us working together, we complement each other really well. I feel like, and and we're able to process a lot of of work together, and uh, and and actually make it happen, which is exceedingly difficult in these times <laughs> exactly exactly well well experiences working on you know those initial collaborative albums um with vdsq and thin wrist you know did it occur to you both that perhaps you could take on you know a more ambitious project together like you know acquiring the rights to the psf catalog and, and reissuing that vast back catalog you know how was that uh, deal reached, and, and I guess how was Black Editions born um, out of all that? I was between 2009 and 2014. I was very focused on uh, my book, Dance of Death The Life of John Fahey, American Guitarist, uh, that was released in 2014 in Chicago Review Press. Uh, so between that and VDSQ, uh, which released around four records. Uh, the same month the book came out, I was very focused on those projects. Uh, Peter, of course, was my silent partner at VDSQ at the time. And uh, I think he's had been looking for a way to get more to get more involved with music again. And I think once he saw what I was able to do with VDSQ and how I was able to manage these various projects you know, at the same time, I think it made a lot of sense for, for us to partner up. 
he has been a lifelong fan of PSF and uh, he had spent time over in Tokyo. He had visited modern music and, and spoken to Ikuzumi-san and uh, forged a relationship with him. And uh, at the time, uh, somewhere around 2015, uh, PSF made it public that they were, were having some difficulties and uh, Peter reached out to Ikuzumi-san and uh, I think rather than a, try to do a piecemeal approach, uh, he very wisely opted to try to work with the entire catalog mm -hmm. as one you know, giant unit. And uh, that level of commitment, I think, endeared Peter to the musicians who we all work with um, together. And uh, it's been, you know, a really beautiful union thus far. Right, right. Well, you know, did when you worked out that deal, I mean, was was it the was it the entire catalog as a whole or are there certain um, releases and artists that had different arrangements and stuff with PSF? So what you have right now is virtually everything that was ever released on PSF? Everything that we do is in con in connection with Ikuzimi-san and uh, the artists themselves. Uh, we would not do anything against any of the artists' wishes. And uh, Ikuzimi-san spent a, a good deal of time reaching out to the artists on our behalf uh, prior to his passing. Okay. That being said, one of the joys of working with Black Editions, and although it very much we're working on these projects as reissues, the artists themselves are very active and are very engaged, and we get to work with them directly and actualize their vision of how these reissues should be. So, you know, when we did the Shimukai uh, Cheshizu reissue, it was her vision to reimagine the artwork. It was you know, her choice of artist to bring that to life. And, uh, you know, it's a really beautiful vision. And, uh, you know, we, you know we, we're really working with the artists themselves. Uh, right. Well, in a lot of cases, I mean, these releases in some ways are being introduced to an, an entirely new audience. It's not like PSF. I mean, that while it's a legendary catalog, it wasn't like, super widely available here even in the states i mean i know there were certain outlets like forced exposure and stuff that was carrying it but it's not like those records were super easy to find so i feel like it is like a fresh take on that entire catalog one of another of the great joys of getting to work on this catalog along with getting to work with the musicians themselves is getting to translate a lot of the material and a lot of the scholarship around them to really understand their artwork at a deeper level as the language and culture barrier is so extensive between you know, America and Japan. Mm -hmm. And there has been so little documentation in English about most of these projects that there's, you know, there's just an endless well of, of, of content, material, of videos, of texts, Mm -hmm. archival materials it's, it's really really exciting right right well you know i don't recall that uh black black editions group being mentioned really until like a few years into the labels activity you know it was just like black editions we knew what that was out of the gates but then there became like this 
entity, uh, the Black Editions group. So was that simply an effort to sort of streamline the work that you were doing across all of these labels rather than try to have these like isolated uh, labels themselves? The idea behind the Black Editions group was enabled us to be able to work around the year without burning out any of our particular outlets and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily have to put out 10 to 12 acoustic guitar records a year or 10 to 12, you know, high note records within a given scope in order to keep the mechanics of running a label, you know, moving. Mm-hmm. So said, you know, we could spend a portion of the year working on each of the different labels and each of these projects would, and allowing each of them to have their time to be absorbed and developed because there's a lot to, there's a lot to understand. There's a lot to listen to. There's a lot to read. There's a lot to look at for each of our releases. And we want to give our audience time to digest it and absorb it. So it gives us a really great working sort of dichotomy. It gives us space and time with, and still be able to work consistently throughout the year. So originally, I think it very much, this was the Black Editions group was an attempt to sort of streamline our activities, to to bring everything to one place, and to provide cross-exposure between these different artists and different worlds. Uh, We really see the connections between them. And uh, one of the things we want to do with Black Editions Group is sort of promote that cross-pollination between these different worlds. Uh, a couple months prior to, you know, the world shutting down, we were fortunate enough to do a show in Los Angeles that was uh, Patrick Shiroshi, Tashi Dorji, and Makoto Kawashima, uh, who each played individual sets and then a collaborative set. Uh, each being representatives of the three individual labels. Mm -hmm. It it was one of the most gloriously beautiful musical experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hope to share more of that with uh, the rest of the world soon. Um, (laughs) As soon as that can happen again, right? And it will happen. But uh, there's there's a lot of cross-pollination between them. We feel like there's a lot of connective threads between these these works and uh, we're really excited to sort of explore that and we hope that listeners do too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, prior to you starting VDSQ, you, you ran another label, actually you alluded to it with the burning star core release. Cause it came, one of the records was a challenger came out on plastic records. Um, so I guess what motivated you to put that label to rest and, and begin focusing specifically on this really sort of contemporary guitar works with VDSQ. And I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the work that you were doing with the Fahey book. I mean, was that a a big inspiration or a driver for that new direction in terms of uh, exploring the possibilities of guitar? Plastic Records originally uh, was a project I did with a friend of mine, Paul Famoletti, who's still a close friend. And, uh, it didn't really have a modus operandi. It didn't have a specific vision. It was more just doing various projects with people as, and, you know, as they sort of occurred. So I wanted to try to do something that was a little more focused and VDSQ was what was came out of that. And, you know, John Fahey was certainly the inspiration uh, I, I, I consider John to be the what I like to call the godfather of 21st century guitar. Mm-hmm. 
sort of what VDSQ represents in my mind, a sort of modern take on, on guitar playing and whatnot. And, you know, John Fahey invented modern guitar in my mind as a solo compositional instrument. Well, why don't we jump into some VDSQ tracks here in this first block of music? I thought we'd start with one that, you know, really stands out because uh, an artist who's not necessarily known as a guitar player, if I if I recall correctly, it's from Kristen Thora Harold's Dottier, correct? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. <laughs> but this comes from this solo acoustic volume 14 from that solo acoustic series. To ex- explain to us just a little background on, on this artist and we'll, we'll jump into a track from that release. It's understandable that she's not uh, well known in our particular circles. She's a uh, very well known in Icelandic classical world. Uh, she's a performer. She performs viola as her core instrument. Uh, I met her while I was studying CalArts. I was working on my Fahey project. Uh, Kristen was studying, uh, getting her master's in composition. And she, you know, we were, we were friends and uh, she picked up a guitar for fun. And I just sort of insisted that she make me a record. And uh, after a few years of uh, me badgering her, she realized that I was serious. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and what she put together is one of the most uniquely beautiful records I've ever heard. It certainly doesn't sound like any solo guitar record I've ever heard, either before or since. And uh, it, it's one of my absolute favorite records on the label. Yeah, it is a beautiful release. Um, so let's play something from it. This is the track called Current.
Well, as an outside observer looking in, it, it seems to make you know intuitive sense that you and Peter could work together in some capacity like you have, you know, given your interest in contemporary guitar players. And then Peter's background as a guitarist, I mean, he's released several solo guitar records himself. So, I mean, was was that uh, shared appreciation of guitar works kind of a, something that you two bonded over early on? Absolutely. And music in general, we bonded over all kinds of, you know, various strains of music and genre and just our general enthusiasm and love of the culture. I mean, we loved going to shows together. We loved debating about records and labels and whatnot. We're both you know, huge fans of so much different music that uh, I, I think it was our mutual excitement for the, for the music and the culture that really sort of you know, bonded us together rather than anything specific. Um, but that being said, our, our, our interests certainly overlap quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you had quite a background before you moved to California in terms of uh, running like a small zine. And I can't, you'll have to refresh my memory, the name of the zine that you ran briefly, or actually it was more of like a full-fledged magazine. Was it Kickstarter? And uh it was a fairly widely distributed uh, magazine with this right. fanzine, and it was is very much like what Peter and myself are doing now. It was me and my friend Sheila Raphael, and uh, you know we just became obsessed with you know, the culture of, of trying to make this this this, this thing, and uh, it was a really fun collaborative process. And that was a big part of it was doing it together. And, mm -hmm. uh, much like me and Peter, I think I think part of the part of the fun for me is getting to work with 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 Peter on these and having you know bouncing ideas off of him and and, and sharing uh, you know the fun of, of of making this stuff into actual records and actual shows and right did that discipline of like editing and and publishing you know just juggling all those different factors is that was that kind of a helpful training grounds for where you're at now with all these different labels under the the black editions group well, that's how i met everybody mm. I'm, I'm not a musician um i i'm a writer and a critic and uh culturally that's sort of how people knew me uh prior to starting a label but that's that's very much like how i that's how i met everybody that was like my business card <laughs> <laughs> right well well thin wrist recordings standalone output you know, that has been maybe a little more sporadic over the last two decades. And I know you said that Peter kind of has been able to devote more time off and on over the years. But it really seems like with that $75 bill, the, 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 the first release that Thinris put out with them, really kind of like revived the label to a certain degree. I mean, is that a fair observation to make? I mean, it's not like you're pumping out a dozen records a year or anything with the, that imprint, but it's certainly has rejuvenated the label and what you're releasing now with that. I think with what we accomplished with our, with VDSQ in 2014, we put out releases by Sarah Louise and Michael Chapman, Tashi Dorji, uh, Kristen's record. And uh, we were ready to, to take on more. And uh, Peter already had a relationship with $75 bill. They had toured together on the West coast. As you mentioned, Peter is a solo guitar uh, avant-garde maestro uh really incredibly talented uh so 
I think he was looking for a way to integrate that into back into what was was happening between us and uh yeah we we were ready to go you know once we once we saw that what we were able to do together i think i think it excited both of us to try to reach out and 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 take more on well yeah from a curatorial standpoint you know how are decisions made for what's going to be released on each of the labels i mean do you still make the final call with vdsq releases and Peter with Thin Wrist, or are now that you're working together under this uh, Black Editions group, are all decisions made, you know, collaboratively? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you should say that because there hasn't necessarily been a situation that there's been any kind of uh, antipathy about, you know, release or, or scheduling or anything like that. Um, it's, you know, it's generally just based on what's ready. And, uh, you know, different projects take different amounts of time and various resources they're extremely complicated depending on you know the size of the release uh future releases a lot of people have been asking about fusitsusha 2 um we're very excited about that and people will understand why it's taken a few years for that (laughs) when it does Um, these are very elaborate projects there are no corners cut every detail is executed and we want to make sure we get it right so we're not going to rush anything before it's time. Uh, that being said, uh, when the you know when the projects are ready, when the artists are ready, uh, that's when it happens. Yeah, I'd like to to set up this next block of music we're going to play with a release that I think really speaks to that like beautiful production, beautiful music, everything like just one of the best records of the year. I'm talking about Patrick Shirashi's. Uh, release called dissension and i think just the artwork on that's phenomenal the pressing's phenomenal and the music like man that like his playing on that it's like hendrix at times riffing only on a saxophone truly one of the best records of the year i'd say oh thank you so much patrick really appreciates it and uh he puts so much passion and love and spirit and into his work uh, he, he's one of the finest players in Los Angeles right now, and it's a truly an honor to to work with him. And uh, it, it's 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 very exciting that people have responded so positively to his to his record. I, I personally agree with you, but I, I I'm I'm very excited that other people share that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful record, and for those who haven't uh, picked up a copy, worth your time. But uh, maybe this will be the selling point here. Let's play a track from it. This is called grandchildren of the camps.
well, the catalog is vast as PSFs is. You know, how have Peter and you gone about deciding on a schedule of releases for Black Editions? I mean, are you trying to balance the output with some of the more sought-after albums? I mean, you did just reference the Fushid Susha number two, which is you know, one of the huge titles in there. But are, are you trying to balance some of the bigger ones with maybe some of these like hidden gems within the catalog? Absolutely. I think that's what we try to do across the labels is try to introduce uh, people to new artists and sort of or other underexposed parts of the catalogs that we work with and whatnot. So absolutely. And uh, it's really exciting to see how people respond to the whole rather than just necessarily the highlights um, or the, you know, the more popular, well-known uh, tracks. And that being said, it's, it, people seem to be along for the full ride. People have been really open about exploring the various titles. I mean, we've only put out about a dozen Black Editions titles so far, but stylistically, they really run the gamut. Mm -hmm. uh, in something like Go Hirano and something like Musica Transonic. Uh, that being said, it, it's great that people are following along throughout that whole thread. Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of people will think that PSF you know, was known for this blasted psychedelic guitar rock and, and free jazz. But, you know, I've even been surprised. Like that Go Hirano that you just mentioned, I think is such a beautiful record. I think it's fantastic. So the the scope of the label, to me, is pretty impressive too. I mean, is that, were you pretty well versed with everything in the catalog before kind of taking on this project or is, are there a lot of new things that you're discovering too through this process? Peter's really the expert in, in mm -hmm. SF catalog. He knew everything. Um, myself, I'm still discovering and it's really, really fun. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff I'm hearing for the first time uh, as we start to work on it and uh, it's exciting. I mean, I, that being said, I saw high rise when I was in college and that was life changing. Experience. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I, I used to hang around the Twisted Village record store in Boston, and uh, Wayne Rogers lent me his copy of Toho Sara in '97. You know, and uh, the PSF had a lot of really formative moments for me. Uh, that being said, I'm still just discovering the true scope of Ikuzumi-san's vision, and it is spectacular. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you you briefly alluded to the, this this next question that I uh, that I have, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is you know one of the things that I think is pretty impressive about uh, Black Editions. Not only if we get into like the high quality vinyl releases and the artwork. I mean, we could we could talk at length uh, about the artwork and how impressive that is. But what I really really like is just what the amount of work that has gone into the sort of like archiving. Um, and, and sharing and preserving this information about these artists and releases. You know, oftentimes, as you mentioned, translating old interviews and articles and making them available through your website. So I was wondering, you know, as you were starting this off, I mean, was that a key consideration of Black Editions that, you know, you were going to go beyond more than just, you know, the token reissue label and be more of this almost... Uh, archive or you know like preserving this catalog in more depth absolutely and I, for me i'm still discovering peter's vision of this and i think that's always been his his inclination from the very start was not only to reissue the records 
but to really be stewards of the culture and really do our best to find ways of reaching the audience that this music deserves. Yeah, I mean, has that been a challenge in terms of, I mean, just given the language barrier, I mean, I, I would imagine you have to bring in a lot of people and resources to sort of navigate and gather some of this stuff. Do you have sort of a, a let's call it a, a squad, <laughs> the Black Edition squad that you can call on that is sort of helping you gather some of this information, some of these resources, and translating for that matter? Absolutely. Uh, we've, we've cultivated quite a team of uh, PSF enthusiasts uh, who are multilingual and uh, well-versed enough to be able to really understand the dynamics of that level of talking about art in Japanese, which is very deeply complicated. <laughs> that being said, uh, people like Alan Cummings, who has been, you know, a champion of the PSF catalog and and a huge resource in helping to translate that to English, has been enormously helpful. Um, and uh, a lot of a lot of people are so passionate about the material that they're as excited as we are to to get this out there to everybody. Yeah, well, let's talk about just some of the recent things that come out. Like late in the summer, you had a, a trio of releases. You mentioned one of them, the Toho Sarah release, which I was not familiar with at all. But then you've got probably one of the bigger heavy hitter ones with Musica Transonic, which I think that one's really impressive because not only do you have the release out there, but you uncovered and, and tacked on a lot of unreleased material from that. So was that just like uncovering some of those recordings and uh was there a lot of extra material for that or was that just kind of everything uh that was recorded with that album at the time that you were able to tack onto that double lp peter's been working extensively with nanjo asahito who is from high rise musica transonic toho sara and dozens of other projects uh, nanjo is a one-of-a-kind musician. Uh, he has an extensive archive of recordings, and you know we're following his vision. This is what he wants. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're blessed and fortunate enough to be able to get to get it from the source himself, right? right. And be able to bring it out. And uh, so, yes, there's an extensive amount of unreleased material across the board. And uh, depending on the artist's wishes, much of it will see the light of day. Could there ever be potential for like the new editions of like the Tokyo flashback going deeper and deeper? Absolutely. I, I don't see why not. So something, something to keep, a, keep an eye out for down the road, perhaps, with, uh, with the catalog. But there's, there's no end in sight. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's play something. Well, I forgot to mention, maybe I should mention this before, before we jump into music, but there's one more from that trio. Uh, Kazuo Imai, is that how you say it? From Marginal Consort, who has a solo record, which is really interesting, uh, like him on guitar, playing it in a completely unconventional way. It's a fascinating record. Uh, he is an, an incredible player. He was a student of uh, Takianagi who is you know, a master of uh, improvisational guitar. Uh, Kazuo Mai 
he, he played with the Taj Mahal Travelers. Uh, he's a really fascinating guy with a long history in Japanese underground music going back decades and a, and a true master of his instrument. Uh, and he's very much one of the people that we're excited to bring out and, uh, and, and hopefully give a bigger spotlight to. Yeah. Well, we'll play a track from that record, but let's start off with the opening cut here from that Musica Transonic album. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that one. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't either. All right. So here's Musica Transonic.
Is this your real dream? I view as a floating owl It's floating above the world It's here by your side And the cold again in my hand It shook me like a gravitation Like your finger was a tremble hand Night after night And day by day And it's my cold To wrap things up here, I, I thought we would just kind of ask the uh, the token uh, interview wrap question and ask you just simply, you know, what do you have coming up in the works for Black Editions Group? I mean, we've got three labels to talk about here, but anything that you can discuss at this point uh, in the year? I can safely say at this point, uh, we're going to have three new VDSQ projects coming out in January, each of which I'm extraordinarily excited about. We have a new record by Chuck Johnson called The Cinder Grove. Uh, it's one of the most spectacular records I've ever gotten the privilege of being a part of. Uh, I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Uh, we have the sophomore release from Rob Noyes, 
who uh, listeners of your podcast are well familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, I, Rob is one of my favorite solo guitar players, and his new record is a true tour de force. Like, he is in top form, and right. it's it, it it's a fantastic record. I can't another one. I can't wait for people to hear. And uh, also, at the same time, uh, part of that trio that you just mentioned, uh, we'll be doing a 12-string acoustic record by Donald Miller, uh, who some folks would know from the group Borbato Magus. And it's a very unexpected release. It's not, it's unlike anything else that Donald has ever released. And it is a wild, wild, wild record. And uh, your listeners will be able to get a chance to hear it first. So this here, we're going to play a track from that forthcoming record. Do you know what? Do you know what track you want to play, or are we just going to let it roll and see what happens? Let's just let it roll and see what happens. <laughs> All right. So Donald Miller here on acoustic twelve string. That alone has my attention. But uh, thanks so much, Steve, uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me, David. It's a, it's great to be on your show. I'm a big fan. Thank you. 
And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Steve once again for taking the time to speak with me this week. If you'd like to check the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like. You can also get more information about the Black Editions Group by visiting their website at blackeditionsgroup.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode, but until then, thanks so much for listening.